0: The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, glory to you, O Lord. Jesus spoke to the crowd saying, to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they said, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, "'I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, "'because you have hidden these things "'from the wise and the intelligent "'and have revealed them to infants. "'Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. "'All things have been handed over to me by my Father, "'and no one knows the Son except the Father, and my burden is light, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Good morning. It's wonderful to be back in worship with all of you. Thank you for your support during our family's vacation, our camping trip, and we missed you it's good to be in fellowship together. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for your word. Please strengthen us. In your name we pray. Amen. We as a world are in the middle of a faith crisis. We have this faith crisis because we have believed certain things to be true, and life has not unfolded the way that we had imagined. So then we doubt what we have believed. For example, Psalm 145, verse 14 this morning thank you for chanting Joy Sand, says, "The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down." What does this mean exactly? Does it mean that if we pray to God with fervent faith, that we will be delivered from our suffering? Does it mean that we will have victory over our enemies? It sounds good on its surface, just pray hard and everything will turn out fine. Maybe that works for some people, however, it doesn't work for everyone. What happens when instead of victory, we find failure? Maybe the problem isn't that we suffer or have enemies. Maybe the problem is that we have forgotten our own history. It might be hard to imagine, but for the first 300 years of Christianity, and we've been learning about this in Sunday school, There was no greater honor, no higher achievement for a Christian than to be arrested, tortured, and killed for one's faith. Jesus' suffering on the cross wasn't seen as something he did vicariously so that we don't have to. No, that's not how they saw it at all. It was seen as the highest calling of a Christian to do exactly what Jesus did. It was a model that we should be so blessed to get to experience. Crucifixion wasn't an abstract thing. It was concrete, real, and very probable. For those first 300 years of Christianity, there was no expectation of a good life on earth. The idea was you actually chose a life of suffering on purpose now so that you would be healed and live forever in the life to come. Today, it seems we have all but forgotten this history. Today, we have mega churches with pastors in million dollar suits that say that if you just believe now, Then you will be blessed with success and blessing and riches, health, wealthy and wise. You will be healed, overcome your enemies, your debts, your addictions, etc. Is that what's in the Bible? How did things change? How did Christianity change from a religion whose highest aim was to be sacrificed to the lion's to a religion that tries to teach us how to be lions? The answer to this question can be summed up in what is a well-known adage about history, right? When we talk about history, we say all roads lead to Rome. Jesus and his followers were Jewish people in the Holy Land living under the Roman Empire. Jesus was executed by Romans, the empire, those who were in charge of it, I should say, not everyday regular people in Rome. And for the first hundred years after Jesus, Christians, as I mentioned, met the same fate. It was a strategy. It was a strategy of the Roman government to try to put down this upstart religion, throw them to the lions, persecute them, torture them. Did it work? Did that work to stop the spread of Christianity? No, just the opposite. Tertullian said the blood of the martyrs is the seeds of the faithful. People would see them suffer and go, why are they so strong and resilient and loving? And then more people became Christians. So the first hundred years go by, and then those who are in charge change their strategy. They said, this isn't working. we got to figure out another way to put a stop to this spread of Christianity, So the second wave of persecution that we learned about was a bit more sophisticated. They begin to issue certificates for good, faithful Romans. If you went and you sacrificed to the Roman gods and if you burned incense to the emperor, you'd get a nice certificate that said you were a good citizen. And with your certificate, you could travel, you could do business, you would have esteem. And the Christians were excluded from that. And so they were excluded from the economy. They were excluded from having their rights. They were treated as undocumented, essentially. And for a while, that worked. There were some Christians that faltered. But did it work? Did it stop the spread of Christianity? No, it didn't. Christianity kept spreading. And in fact, those that were captured and tortured and never wearied were called confessors. And they took on a special role in the church and they were highly respected. And so, then in the third century after Jesus, the strategy changed again. As the Roman Empire was struggling with having power, they decided we're just gonna round everybody up who's a Christian, mass incarceration, round them all up, lock them up, and just take them out of society but that didn't work either because the Christians actually saw it as an honor to suffer for their faith. Then along came Constantine and the legend of the Milvian Bridge. You've probably heard this, but I'll refresh you. So Constantine was not a Christian. He was one of four Roman emperors and the area that he was in charge of was called Gaul which we think of today as France, Germany, basically Western Europe. And Constantine was a brilliant tactician. And he schemed and he built his army and he wanted to include Italy and Rome because that wasn't a part of Gaul. And so he built his army and he marched on Rome And when he got to the Milvian Bridge just before he attacked, he had a vision. And in his vision, he saw a Christian symbol, the Cairo, the first two letters of Christ. And in the vision, it said, Put this on your soldiers' shields, and when you attack, you will have victory. And that's what he did. He wasn't a Christian, he wasn't baptized. But he used a Christian symbol and put it on the shields of all of his soldiers. And when he attacked Rome and they went into a bloody civil war, he won militarily. He won. He had victory. He became the emperor of the entire western half of the empire. And it was only a matter of time until he conquered the eastern portion as well. And after he became emperor of the entire Roman Empire, actually before that, when he was just the emperor of the Western half, he issued what is called the Edict of Milan. And the Edict of the Milan finally put an end to Christian persecution. It no longer made it illegal to be a Christian. Everybody was let out of jail No more throwing Christians to the lions. No more persecutions of Christians. But was Constantine a Christian himself? Not yet. He seemed to have seen that there was a power. And he wanted that power to help him to climb. And and he seemed to have some authentic belief in it as well. But not enough to, to make a commitment himself to the way of Jesus. He didn't get baptized until his dying breaths on his deathbed. But you see, this was the turning point. It's like the saying goes, if you can't beat them, join them. The persecution every hundred years didn't work until finally Constantine, who again was brilliant in terms of a tactician, realized that if he could protect the Christians, he might win favor from God and rule the entire empire. And so he made Christianity mainstream, and in doing so, he changed it from a religion whose aim was to suffer with dignity and protest against the state into a religion of the state in order to have victory over his enemies. He completely flipped the whole thing. And so we say the rest is history. We can see Constantine as the high watermark of what we call in the Lutheran church works righteousness. And many others, countless others, have followed in his footsteps, using the symbols of our faith, using the doctrine of our faith to gain power. After Constantine died... He was canonized as a Christian saint, and he was added to the pantheon of pagan gods. The same person, if you can believe that. So, this distortion has worked very well for those who have been in power at the top. It has worked for many powerful people throughout history. For anyone with prestige, it has been a great gift. But to many regular people, it has corrupted our faith. The implication of the Constantinian era is that anyone who doesn't win, that if you don't have a victory, that if you didn't win your battle, that if you didn't try up, triumph, somehow maybe your faith wasn't authentic enough. Maybe you lacked faith, which of course is a lie. So what is the answer? We as a people must repent from the lie, from this as seductive as it might be. There is no golden road of success. We must remember the lessons of our forebearers of the faith. A true faith leads to the cross. The more faithful you are and the more good you are, you can be assured that you will face hardship in your life. There will be sickness, there will be death, there will be humility. They are unavoidable, just as Jesus could not avoid the cross. And when we accept this with maturity, and finally, we might evolve as a species, as a civilization, to finally face the big challenges that we face that threaten our very existence. And you know what they are. You know that we today live under the threat, big threats, nuclear Armageddon, global climate change, seemingly unended crimes of hate, The root of all these things lie at this lie of Constantine, of might makes right. When we can finally dispel that lie, we will have faith to dismantle. And the cost and the burden of the cross, we will finally know Jesus' words to be true. When we are mature in faith to take Jesus' cross for ourselves then we will know his words to be true. When he said, come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen. Please stand as you're able and we sing our hymn of the day.